Hey there, do you love pet content and want more of it? If so, please hit the subscribe button. Your support helps keep this content free and lets me know you're enjoying the show. So please hit that subscribe button and maybe even give us a review while you're at it. Thank you. We all think we have the perfect pet, but sometimes we discover that our furry angels actually might have some flaws after all, and they need our help to overcome them. Noodle is a well-known long-haired dachshund who has made quite a name for himself on social media, and his mom, Bianca, loves him to pieces. For the first six months, Bianca and Noodle were always by each other's side, or Noodle had someone at home to keep him company. But then, one day, Bianca went out thinking nothing of it, only to discover that things were not okay at home. I left for a workout class, and I finally got a camera that had the bark alerts, And during that whole workout class, I was getting your dog is barking, your dog is barking, your dog is barking for 45 whole minutes straight. And I was panicking. Bianca raced back and comforted Noodle, then got to work figuring out how to deal with this issue. She found some tips online and started to implement them in her routine. But the process was slow and the recommendations she was finding weren't really what she or Noodle needed in the long term. I was seeing a lot of start by getting a babysitter. So that's kind of what I always made sure to do, whether it was friends or I was paying. The first probably month, I would say, was the hardest trying to adjust because even if I wanted to go food shopping, that cost me $25 to get a babysitter, which is insane, on top of my food bill. So it was like everything I wanted to do, I always had to pay for or I was just stressed. I didn't want to leave my house. So it was both of us stuck. But then that wasn't really helping training. So there were a lot of tears, a lot of mental breakdowns. Eventually, though, Bianca found some methods that worked. She started to desensitize Noodle to her leaving one little step at a time. Started giving him daytime crate naps. So that would kind of associate alone time during the day. And I would sit next to him at first and like literally have my fingers through the crate as he's sleeping because he does like the crate at night, just not the day. And then eventually when he got more comfortable, I would start moving around my apartment and he would sleep in there on his own. And then I would eventually like leave my apartment, they'd come right back in. And it was kind of just building up these thresholds to get him used to like, we have separate space. And during the day, it's okay to do one thing and for me to do another and he's fine alone. Now Noodle and Bianca are at a place where they can be apart for a few hours without any issues. And Bianca shared her learning process on social media to help show other pet parents that even though it's hard, separation anxiety is something that you can overcome. Coming up after the break, I discuss this more with Eric Wiese, a certified trainer and the host of Lucky Dog on CBS. We'll dive deeper into what we know about separation anxiety in dogs, how we can work to prevent it from being a problem in the first place, and what kind of treatment strategies you can use to help your pets who might be having a tough time when you leave the house. Stay with us. I don't know about you, but I love to take my new puppy Teddy everywhere I can. And when I do, I want to make sure to have some good treats on hand for when I need them. Our favorite is Blue Nudges on-the-go treats. They are made with real USA chicken as the first ingredient and no artificial flavors or preservatives. And my favorite part, they are packed in a convenient reusable flip top container that fits right in your cup holder. So these meaty treats are an easy and healthy way to reward your dog on the go. Purchase nudges on the go wherever you buy pet treats. I just want to get some basics out of the way. 
baseline, how common is it? Like how often are you hearing from pet parents, oh, my dog has separation anxiety or, you know, my pet has separation anxiety? Quite often. That's actually one of the, I would say, most requested issues that pet parents want to work on. So it's very common. And unfortunately, a lot of times it can be prevented. Mm. For instance, when you're about to leave the house and a dog looks at you and then walks away, we kind of take that as a sign that the dog doesn't care. Oh, the dog should care that I'm leaving. And in reality, that's a really healthy response that our dogs give us where they look at us, turn away, walk away and stay in their own space, whether that be a crate or puppy pen or if you choose another environment for your dog in the household. So what happens is when the dog does that, sometimes humans go up to the dog and say, bye, bye, bye. And they'll Uh start this whole ritual of saying goodbye to the dog and making it overly dramatic (laughs) because it's for the human. Because normally when we say bye to somebody, we get a bye back. Right. Someone doesn't just ignore us, but (laughs) our dogs don't verbalize that back to us. So we'll then dramatize that And then it becomes a bigger deal. And we'll actually start to create separation anxiety because the dog is wondering why this grand gesture of goodbyes and are they coming back? So we can actually start to hinder that uh, feeling of calm and and feeling safe in the home. And they start to become anxious because we kind of trigger that for them. It's interesting because I don't know if you noticed or saw, but I noticed on social media there was a trend of like how I say hi to my dog versus how I say hi to my husband, wife. Is it that too? Like when you come back, does that add to it? Absolutely. So now separation anxiety, separating you from your dog or a resource from your dog. And I'm sure a lot of pet parents have actually realized, you know, if a toy goes under the couch Mm -hmm. and they can't get to that toy. That's a form of separation anxiety, but to a resource slash toy. Right. So when we come back and we give our dogs all the love in the world, which, you know, it's pretty common, I would say pretty normal for a human to want to do that because we haven't seen our dogs for a while, they start to anticipate that. Mm-hmm. So they want to see that. They're like, oh, I can't wait to get that. And so they start to become anxious, sometimes around the time, maybe 30, 40 minutes before you actually get home because they have such a great internal clock. Right. So- Once they start to feel that, yeah, the anxiety starts. And especially if you come home, give them treats or they're immediately fed. So in contrast to that, I would say when you come home, make it like it's no big deal. Uh, Even though you want to go up to your dog and you want to pet them. And of course, your dog will most likely, if you have a great relationship and it's trusting, they'll come up to you and want to get pet. And you can give them a moderate amount of attention. And what I mean is a scratch man in the ear saying, hey, missed you. And then go about your day for the maybe the next 15, 20 minutes, and then you can love on them. So it kind of gets rid of that, oh my gosh, they're coming through that threshold. I'm going to get tons of attention, and I can't wait, and I'm going to get more and more excited. Got it. Okay, that that is super helpful because we all love to come home and be like, oh my God, I missed you so much. And then it's yeah. like, don't do and, that. And, and in most <laughs> cases, if your dog isn't displaying separation anxiety or you're not having any behavior issues, that can be completely normal and healthy. But if your dog is not uh, showing healthy behavior and they are showing signs of separation anxiety, that could be one of the causes. I want to talk about the signs too, because we talked, uh, you mentioned a few, you know, uh, pacing, destruction, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, My question is a little bit more nuanced. Like, what if your dog has separation anxiety and you don't know? Like, you don't 
have neighbors who can hear the dog barking. You don't have a camera that you can see the dog pacing and the dog doesn't destroy things. For instance, my dog, I got him, you know, as a teenager. So we lived with my parents for for Mm -hmm. a while. And then when I moved and I had an upstairs neighbor, he would call and be like, oh, your dog's barking. Are you home? I was like, oh, no, I'm not home. I don't know if he ever did that at my parents' house when we were gone. So like, how do you know stuff like that? Yeah. So a couple of different signs that you can kind of check. So a lot of times when dogs become nervous, they can lick their paws. Mm -hmm. So you want to, when you come home, check to see if your dog's paws are wet. And sometimes they lick so much that they'll actually start to thin out the fur. So check to see if your dog's paws are a little wet. Uh, You also want to see, is their face very wet? Not from water, not from drinking, but sometimes they'll lick their lips quite a bit. Okay. The other thing you want to start to pay attention to is have they started to become destructive with anything? So have they started to destroy more toys So or furniture for that matter? So you want to make sure that they haven't become destructive. The other thing that you can do, and we talked about camera uh, earlier, you can do a very inexpensive way because everyone was doing Zoom and everything like that. You can simply do a video chat with your dog, meaning you set up a laptop, iPad, or a device that you would normally video chat, set it up in your home uh, where your dog is. So give them an area that's designated to them and then have your phone on, you walk out and you're pretty much just video chatting your dog, but just to see what they're up to. So that's typically what I recommend. Cameras are becoming a lot more inexpensive these days. So you can simply get a drop cam if it's in your budget. But if you don't want to get a camera and you do have your laptop, iPad, something that you would normally video chat with or utilizing a friend's phone Mm -hmm. uh, just to get a friend to volunteer and set that phone up where your dog is and you can simply leave the home and get an idea of what your dog is doing when you're gone. Yeah, I love that. I want to get into treatment, but I also want to get into you mentioned before the different severity levels of separation anxiety. How do you know whether it's mild? Is there ever a situation where it's like, oh, they're fine, like they'll get over it? Or do you always have to treat it? How do you know when it's super severe? Like what are the different levels? Yeah, so first thing you want to do, put a barrier in between you and your dog. Mm -hmm. So that could be simply a, a puppy pen, baby gate, a little fence, something where they can still visualize you, but can't get to you and see what their reaction is. And I'm not saying put your dog in a stressing position or have them be in distress, but we want to see where that severity is and at what level that severity is. And so when you put yourself on the other side of a fence that they can see through, but they can't necessarily get to you, then we get a good idea because the dog can still see you we get a good idea, is there separation anxiety? If a dog just kind of runs uh, the opposite direction and is not really worried about you at all, that's a pretty healthy response. Mm -hmm. And then we have the kind of pacing back and forth. Does a dog, you know, sit there and then start to pace back and forth, trying to figure out how to get to you through that barrier. Then we have the barking. So it'll start to elevate barking, whining. uh, And then we'll start to see jumping, see if they can jump over that barrier, digging, trying to dig. And then the next thing was, which we never really wanted to get to because we'll stop it before it even gets to it, but biting uh, the barrier, trying to break (laughs) through it. And that's when they would either harm themselves or the environment. So those are the different severity levels. Sometimes self-harm too, like I said, licking the paws where they become almost raw in some cases, uh, or scratching the floor where they file their nails down so much to where uh, it starts to bleed. 
And so those are all indications on more severe uh, cases of separation anxiety. But the first test would be, can you just go on the other side of a barrier that your dog can see through and what is their reaction to it? That is so helpful because I think people, they just know at some point they're going to have to leave their pet and they just do that. But knowing mm-hmm. ahead of time what they might do is such a good idea. So Yeah. And and then the, the next step in that would be, can you close a door? Mm-hmm. Meaning, can you go out your front door, close the door? And this is where that, you know, borrowing a friend's phone or having a drop cam or having a laptop where you can see what your dog's reaction is to that and seeing how they react to it. And do this before, you know, your dog ever sees you leave. Mm-hmm. And so you're coming right back. Right. And you're just trying to discover what your dog's reaction is to this. And then you can start to prolong those absences. If you do notice that your dog has separation anxiety, whatever level it may be, what are some of the steps that you take to treat that? So if it's very mild and your dog is just kind of maybe pacing back and forth or you get a little whimper every now and again, but then they choose to go for a toy, maybe after five minutes, that's better. Uh, in, In those cases, I would just start to leave earlier Okay. Meaning if you know you need to be somewhere at 10 a.m., start your process of leaving. Let's say it takes you 30 minutes to get to your destination. Start your process maybe at nine. So you have a half an hour to go in, go out, go in, go out. And your dog sees you leaving over and over again, coming back in, coming back out. And what you'll start to do is kind of program their brain to when you leave that door, you're always coming back. It just might vary as far as the time goes. Yep. That's funny. It's kind of what I did with my dog. He, because he knew when I grabbed my purse and walked down to my basement to the garage that I was leaving. So mm-hmm. uh, now I, I don't let him see me grab my purse or like put my purse in the basement. Like I'll walk down to the basement with my purse and I'll come back up and leave my purse downstairs. So he's like, uh, Where's she? What's she doing? What's happening? So now yeah. he's, he's always a little bit confused. Is she coming back? soon or is it going to be a long time but he he now knows like going down to the basement is not the end of the world for him exactly no and that's great i'm really glad that you did that and you know the more your dog sees you go in and out of a threshold where you would normally be leaving the more that happens you're kind of doing exposure therapy mm-hmm. to them and you're desensitizing them to you going out coming back going out coming back and Again, the more you do that, the more comfortable they should become if it's a very mild case of separation anxiety, the more comfortable they should become of you going out and coming back, regardless of the time. Obviously, within reason, we start to see confinement anxiety around the three to four hour mark. That was uh, going to be my gone. question. How how long is the appropriate amount of time? I mean, people have jobs. They're gone for many hours in a day. How long can you reasonably expect your pet to be OK by themselves? With the exception of puppies, puppies, if you're having them in a puppy pen and if you have the proper grass patch and stuff like that, where you have a controlled environment for them to relieve themselves and if they haven't been fully vaccinated. But if you have a fully vaccinated adult dog or even a young dog, uh, you want to make sure that it's no longer if again, if your dog is not displaying any sort of separation anxiety, no longer than three to four hours at a time. So making sure that you have a friend, family member or pet sitter dog walker to come by and kind of bridge that gap mm-hmm. uh, when you go to work to make sure that they're getting their exercise, they're getting out, they have fresh water. And if they need to be fed midday too, you want to make sure that they're being fed. So you're reducing the chances of that anxiety starting. Nice. I want to throw a scenario at you. So you say you get a new puppy mm-hmm. and it is just, you know, you want to form this bond with your puppy. You want the puppy to latch onto you. You want to have this great relationship with them. 
how do you bridge that gap of like, I want this puppy to be obsessed with me because I'm obsessed with him, but mm -hmm. like not creating this situation where they're too obsessed with you and they don't want you to leave ever. <laughs> that is an amazing question. And that's a question, unfortunately, we get quite often when we're at the tail end of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, clients will ask us, what could we have done to prevent that separation anxiety from happening? Let's say you get a puppy at eight weeks and at six months, they can't be apart from you. And so a lot of times it's because people are sleeping in their bed with their dog. You can't and, do that. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you can if you have a healthy response to uh -huh. it. Okay. So if you're not dealing with separation anxiety, then by all means, if you want to have your dog in your bed and you don't have any behavior issues, whether it be guarding, resource guarding, reactivity on leash, if you want to sleep with your dog in the bed, totally fine with that. We actually will do that on occasion uh, just to you know, keep that bond uh, right. with our dog secure, but they don't need it because we've made sure that we've trained them not to necessarily rely on us for their comfort. They mm -hmm. rely on us for their resource. Yep. So if you have a puppy, eight weeks of age, making sure that they have their own designated environment to sleep in. So typically I would recommend a puppy pen, maybe with a crate inside that puppy pen where the door is open so you can start to crate train uh, as early as possible. That way the dog can freely go in and out of that crate, but they still have that puppy pen to kind of control their environment. Then you want to make sure that when your puppy is sleeping, so when you have them out, a lot of times puppies will fall asleep in your arms. You want to make sure that you place them back in their environment. If they start to become comfortable sleeping in your arms, they're going to want that more and more because they get right. that body heat. They start to become more comfortable and start to get that attachment to you. Mm -hmm. Now, you can form an, a healthy attachment without having to hold them constantly. Now, you can definitely hold your puppy when they're awake and you want to take them outside in your arms to get them exposed to the outside world if they're not fully vaccinated, making sure that you continue to carry them. But we want to make sure that we're not having them rely on us for that comfort. They should be able to start to build that on their own. And I would use an analogy. It's kind of like children. So we have uh, a toddler right now, and she never slept in our bedroom past the age of three months because she was in a bassinet. We just wanted to make sure she was okay. And then she moved into her own room in her crib. Now, the reason why we do that and a lot of people don't recognize why we actually do that. It's it's so the baby can start to build up their confidence on their own. Otherwise, they get so used to sleeping in your bedroom and it makes that transition way harder as they start to age. Now, imagine having a child. So from infancy to about 25, 26 years of age, when the frontal lobe has fully formed in the brain and they've slept in their parents' bed throughout <laughs> all of those years. You can imagine what that would do to your development and yeah. also the relationship between <laughs> you and your parents. Right. So the development of a puppy is very condensed. So, you know, birth to 25, 26 years of age for a human, you're looking at birth to about 18 months for mm -hmm. a dog. So it's very condensed uh, compared to a human. So we want to make sure, and a lot of people do this where they, you know, pet parents will have their dog sleep in their bed from eight weeks and it's life. And we see a lot of issues, unfortunately. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but most of the time we see a lot of issues uh, form behavior issues when our pet parents do that. Nice. Okay. That is so helpful because 
in the next few months, I will probably be getting a puppy. So like these are things okay. that are important to me <laughs> to know. I'm like, okay, no sleeping in the bed with me, at least not for a while. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So 18 months. So try to mm-hmm. make it that 18 month point. And if your dog, again, is completely healthy, no reactivity, no separation anxiety, if you want to start to have your younger dogs sleep in the bed with you. And it also reduces, you know, if you have a puppy under that age, especially younger, they can have accidents. They can hurt themselves by falling off the bed. So we want to make sure that they're, you know, have fully functioning motor systems where they, if they, you know, fall or if they jump, uh, if the bed's not too high, uh, if the bed is high, making sure they know how to get down on a ramp or stairs. So you want to make sure it's as safe as possible. But if you want to sleep with your dog in the bed past 18 months of age and there's no behavior issues, by all means, I, it, it can be a really awesome bonding experience, especially if you're watching you know, movies or if you're just wanting to have a companion in the bed with you. Yeah, it's 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 hard because my dog, he's 15. So he's been sleeping in my bed and I got him when he was he, he wasn't a puppy. But we kind of did the same thing. He didn't sleep in my bedroom with me until, you know, he was trained. He got comfortable, all that stuff. But now for the last you know decade, you know, having a dog in the bed is just like common practice it's hard to yeah you get well you get used to it and 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 it can be uh very calming to a human as well because you're you're hearing another being breathes or you're hearing another animal breathe and that can be very therapeutic petting your dog too before you go to bed can also be they're very therapeutic and helping you wind down from the day so yeah and i don't i don't uh discourage that but again as long as you don't have any behavior issues right I, i think that can be a really healthy relationship My dog Teddy is going through something right now. What is it, you ask? It's the true blue effect, which is all the benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. I'm talking healthy coat, strong bones, muscle development, immune system health, great digestion, strong joints, and lots and lots of energy. Try the blue life protection formula now and see if your dog benefits from the true blue effect. So my other scenario is kind of the opposite. If you're getting a puppy, not a puppy, if you're getting a dog, you're rescuing a dog, he's a few years old, and you need to form that trust relationship with that dog. How do you make sure that it's not like you want to form this bond with them, but you also need to make sure that they are okay to be left by themselves? Yeah, great question. On average, it takes about six months to a year for an adult dog to acclimate to a new environment. Wow. So, meaning forming the bond with you, building trust. Now, it could prolong that trust building uh, period if you're breaking trust. So, let's say you get angry with your dog and you swat them, or you're constantly yelling at your dog because you're not quite sure how to handle certain situations. So, when you're working on behavior modification, you really have to pay attention to how you're handling those circumstances and what types of training methods you are using Mm -hmm. when you're building that trust with your animal and making sure during that six months to year mark that there's not a lot of bad experiences or none for that matter that your dog is going through with you, then you can start to weigh, okay, am I having any behavior issues? Do I see anything that I want to modify with my dog? And if the answer is no, certainly if you'd like them to sleep in your bed, That way, a healthy relationship has already been formed, hopefully, Mm -hmm. and therefore, they're not, again, relying on you for comfort. They trust that this is their environment, and they're going to be living with you, and you're their resource provider, and then you can start to form a deeper connection once that period is over. Okay, makes sense. And where does, like, a doggy daycare fit Mm -hmm. into this? Can that be 
a treatment for separation anxiety, a way to leave it, or where does that fit in? If your dog is healthy and they love being around other dogs, and the dogs at the daycare have also been temperament tested and they love being around other dogs, it can be a really great environment for your dog to be in. Now, similar to a daycare for children, you are susceptible for your dog getting sick. And that's just one of those cons when you, you know, have your dog or child go into daycare. They're kind of just petri dishes. And even though dogs can be up to date on vaccinations, if they went on their walk early in the morning, pick something up, and then yeah. another dog licks and something could happen there. <laughs> so you just have to be aware of that. It's unavoidable a lot of times, and it's probably going to happen at some point. It may not happen for years, but then all of a sudden, five years into your daycare that you've been going to for that amount of time, your dog gets sick. So just know that that's a possibility. But other than that, again, if the environment is really controlled, the staff uses positive reinforcement to guide dogs away from certain scenarios if they get overstimulated or they become reactive. They have certain areas that dogs can go into re to relax. That's really important. So if a dog becomes overstimulated, there needs to be an area that a dog can go into where they can kind of decompress, yeah. relax a little bit, and then be reintroduced to the play group. So breaks, stuff like that, really important. So really vet your daycare before signing your dog up for something like that. But you also want to make sure that they temperament test to make sure mm -hmm. that your dog is comfortable with a circumstance like that. Right. But they can be very helpful if everything is, is going well. And what about medication? When and uh -huh. how does medication come into the picture if you have a dog with severe separation anxiety? And medication should and can be used in conjunction with behavior modification. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't use medication alone as uh, a treatment plan for a dog with severe separation. You would want to talk to your vet and you would want to talk to a certified trainer, behavior consultant, or board certified behaviorist to work together, come up with a treatment plan and behavior modification, and then using that in conjunction with the medication. There's several medications out there that could be utilized depending on the severity and your particular dog. So you want to make sure that you're always consulting your vet before introducing a medication, but they can work in conjunction because most veterinarians are not well-versed in behavior. They're just very well-versed in the biology of a dog. So it's very similar to going to a brain surgeon. Even though the brain is their thing and they can operate on the brain, they might not be as well-versed as, as a psychologist or right. psychiatrist. So you can't necessarily expect your vet to know exactly what to prescribe. You have to rely upon a, maybe a third party like a board-certified behaviorist uh, to help prescribe that medication given the circumstances that your dog is going through. I think that's super helpful because people, even my producer, Jana, we were talking earlier, like we meet people out on walks. We talk about our dogs. Oh, I asked my vet this and they didn't really have any recommendations for it. I'm like, that's why, because it's not mm -hmm. a medical issue. It's just your dog's acting in a specific way and they don't know exactly what that means. Exactly. Yeah. Whenever uh, medicine is being prescribed, it has to be prescribed by uh, a veterinary medical doctor. So you want to make sure that uh, you're working with them. But me being a, a behavior consultant for veterinary practices, we have to continue our education and we have to be well-versed in medication as well. Mm -hmm. I can't prescribe it, but I can give my educated uh, opinion on what's going on. And then we can work through, hey, Mr. Veterinarian or Mrs. Veterinarian, what could we prescribe 
because we're dealing with X, Y, and Z, and there's selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, there's SSRIs. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things that we could do. There's sometimes sedatives uh, that could be prescribed. Again, it depends on the severity of the separation anxiety and the behavior. Yeah. If you are a pet parent and you know, like we talked about at the top, it's a pandemic, everybody was home, maybe they got a puppy, they got a dog, and they know they're going to go back to work at some point. They know it's coming up, you know, five weeks from now, whatever. How can you prepare your pet for that eventuality? Or even maybe you're going on vacation, you know, you're going to be gone for a while. How do you prepare for that? Yeah. So two very different things, vacation and going back to work. Mm -hmm. So vacation is going to be a much longer absence, but a shorter duration as far as how many days that is. Work could potentially be five days a week indefinitely, mm -hmm. but you're coming home each evening. Right. So in order to prepare for that, let's talk about the going to work first. You want to make sure that you're going through all the triggers that your dog would see you go through. So shower, uh, get a coffee, because sometimes when we're not going to work, we don't go through the rituals of you know making ourselves a coffee in the morning to get ourselves energized to go to work. So go through that. You know, when you're not actually going to work, go through all the steps, see what your dog's reaction is. And you'll do that every day if you can. Mm -hmm. If it's possible for you to do that every day, go through the rituals, even if you're just going in front of a screen to do your Zoom or video chats, you want to make sure that you're able to go through all the rituals, get ready, you know, put your clothes on that you would normally put on to go to work. Don't get in your comfy clothes and start to go through all of those rituals that you would normally go through to go to work. So that's where I would start with that. And you can simply treat your dog every time you're going through those little rituals. So it'll start to reprogram your dog's brain to thinking, oh my God, I can't wait till they put on their jacket. I can't wait till they pick up their keys and put on their shoes and leave that door because I get this really, really tasty treat. So you can start to do that. Now with the vacation, you want to make sure that sometimes maybe a week or two before, get the suitcase out. Yeah. <laughs> Pack it up. You know, leave it out. Don't get it out of a closet. Same with like vacuums and stuff. You don't want them to just sit in closets and then all of a sudden they become these big scary things, whether you're taking the luggage and you're not coming back for a while or you start to vacuum your house with the vacuum. Start to get these things out so your dog actually sees them mm -hmm. and then pick it up, roll it around, put it back in its place, but making sure that your dog actually visualizes this so it becomes less of a trigger when you actually have to go out of town. I love that. Yeah, uh, Ozzy, my dog. Anytime he saw a suitcase, would just go hide in a corner. He he hated the suitcase. But so we started just taking out the suitcase and just leaving it out and about so he would not be scared of it anymore. Yeah. And, and that's and that's a great thing to do. Our dog, Rupert, actually would jump in the suitcase. <laughs> so because we would we would open it up, put clothes in and close it back up. And he would he ended up just saying, oh, this is a cool bed for me. Yeah. So he great. didn't care about the suitcase <laughs> at all eventually. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. This is another little bed that I can sleep on clothes. I love it. So yeah. to end, I want to talk about if you're a pet parent, your pet has separation anxiety, give them some hope. How long is it going to take to treat? What are what are some of the, the ways that they can feel better about what this process is going to look like? Yeah. So a lot of times, and I would say in most cases, separation anxiety never completely goes away. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that we always tell our clients uh, and our pet parents is making sure that we're managing their expectations, that separation anxiety may never completely go away, but we can get to a point where we can manage it. 
And when I say manage it, that can mean different things for different people. Managing could be that your dog is comfortable enough for you to leave for maybe 30 minutes to an hour, and then they start that separation anxiety. But when we know that and we know their time, we can have somebody come over or if they're really susceptible to being in daycare and they love that environment, you can utilize daycare, dog walkers, family members starting to you know help bridge that gap. So the time is going to be different for every dog. Mm-hmm. I've had cases where it was mild separation anxiety and it took a couple of weeks to get them comfortable in their environment. And there were a lot of variables in that circumstance, depending on when they got their dog, when, you know, when the separation anxiety started, things like a dog sleeping in the bed where we had to modify that. So there's a lot of little variables that go into that all the way up to really severe separation anxiety that never completely goes away, but we get it to a point after sometimes working with a dog for a couple of years. And it really depends on the consistency that you work on it. So if you only work on uh, curbing or modifying your dog's separation, separation anxiety one day a week, mm. you know, not that can work. <laughs> it's just not going to work. It, it, it's like going to the gym one day a week and thinking that you're going to reach your amazing goals for the summer that you want to look a certain way. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm going to the gym one day a week or I'm exercising one day a week. Probably not going to work. Or if you're working on yourself mentally, if you're speaking to a mental health professional, and you're trying to work through some form of trauma, does that ever go away? And we have to ask ourselves that, you know, does our trauma ever completely go away? And the answer is usually no. So, and this is trauma for a dog. The separation anxiety is a form of trauma that they go through. And so it never completely goes away, but in a lot of cases, we can get it to a point where it's manageable. And the last thing I want to say is, I think pet parents can often feel guilty. You know, they they leave and they know that it's going to be a tough time for the pet. How can you feel better about that other than, you know, you just got to work, work with your pet to make sure that they're feeling better? Yeah. So first ask yourself all the questions. Am I hindering this training? (laughs) Am I having the dog sleep in my bed? Am I not working on, you know, things that you could be working on on a daily basis, helping with those triggers with picking up keys and, you know, putting on your shoes, putting on a jacket. Are you being proactive about helping modify the separation anxiety? And the next thing I would say is be patient with yourself. This is not easy to go through. It's not easy for a professional. It's not easy for veterinarians. It's not easy for pet parents. It's really stressful on the dog and it's really stressful on their parent. And it's just not an easy process to go through. So I would end it with making sure that you're being patient with yourself and being easy on yourself during that period. It's not easy. It's not going to get any easier as you go on, even for the first couple of weeks, if you're dealing with severe separation anxiety, but making sure you have the resources to rely upon, whether it be a certified trainer, a behavior consultant, or a veterinarian in conjunction working together to help you through that process. You mentioned resources. Is there anything else that pet parents could be reading, doing, Mm -hmm. resources that we could send them to? The Humane Society has great resources talking about separation anxiety. The organization that I belong to, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, so it's IAABC.org. They have some literature as well. You can simply find uh, a certified trainer in your area. So Mm -hmm. behavior consultant in your area by simply typing in your zip code. So someone that actually has to continue their education and is more well-versed than I would say the layman uh, or even certified trainer that is more working on basic obedience. We dive into more of the behavior issues. So whether it be separation anxiety, 
fears, phobias, leash reactivity, stuff like that. And so you'll get maybe a more in-depth analysis and treatment plan from somebody like that in conjunction with the vet than going to a regular trainer. There's a lot of great regular trainers out there. When I say regular trainer, I mean a certified trainer. So the CCPDT, uh, the certified professional dog trainers. Uh, There's a lot of great trainers out there that have that certification that could sometimes help as well. But if you're dealing with severe separation anxiety, I typically like to go the behavior consultant route, board certified behaviorist or veterinarian. Awesome, Eric. This has been amazing. Listeners, definitely check out Lucky Dog on CBS. And for even more resources, be sure to check out the Buddies app. We have so many articles in our learn section. So check there. And uh, yeah, where can people find you if they haven't found you already? People can go to happypuppyla.com. That is our company where we work on behavior modification. We have a boarding and training service that we offer. You can search for me on the IWABC.org so you can find me there. And you can see us on CBS Lucky Dog Saturday mornings. Awesome. Eric, thank you again. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at Mission.org. Mission.org.